Hey there, welcome back to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas, and in this episode, we are unpacking what my good friend and business partner, Dr. Christine Sterling, is calling the millennial parent problem. If you are a parent or hoping to become a parent soon, and if you're a millennial, I wonder if you can relate to the following. Do you find yourself turning to Google whenever a question comes up? Do you find yourself feeling overwhelmed by all the information that is out there and asking yourself, what's right? There's so many conflicting opinions. Do you find yourself feeling really distracted and anytime there is a margin in your day or a still moment, you're turning to your phone, taking in more information? Do you find yourself comparing yourself to other parents and wondering what's wrong with me? It seems like everybody else has this parenting thing figured out. Do you find yourself struggling to let yourself rest, finding yourself so busy and wondering in those moments when you're not busy, if you're doing it right and feeling like you're not doing enough. If you can relate to any of that, I want you to know that you're not alone. You're in the right place. And Dr. Christine and I want to welcome you into this conversation with open arms. In this episode, Dr. Christine is going to explain why millennials specifically are experiencing this parenting problem, some of the symptoms of this problem, as well as the impact that it can have on your life. I'm so glad that you're tuning in to this episode and that you're with us right here, right now. Let's dive in. listening to Holding Space Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Cassidy Freitas. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, mom to three, and I support mamas just like you who want a supported, loving, and rested postpartum so that you can flourish in that first year with baby. In this podcast, I'm sharing my conversations with perinatal experts from around the world and with parents who've been through it. While I hope that this podcast is supportive to you, it is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed health provider. I'm so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Hello, hello, my friend, Dr. Christine. I miss you. We have not seen her in so long, but I'm so glad that we get to at least spend the next 45 minutes with each other chatting about the millennial parent problem. How are you doing, my friend? I'm good, you know, <laughs> busy. We'll talk about that. Busy, but good. Yeah. Oh, I, I want to hug you. It's been, it's been over a year since we've hugged each other. You know, I know. And I've ridiculous? never met your baby. You've never met my baby. And that is insane because yep. we were seeing each other like every day for a while there. We were building our courses and, yep. oh my gosh, I miss, I miss friends. I miss hugging people. I know. So, I think we're going to go. It's going to be hot girl summer for everyone. Oh my gosh. I cannot I'm wait. not single. I've got kids, <laughs> but I still want a hot girl summer. Oh my gosh. Me too. Me too. Me yeah. too. Hot um, prime was, summer. We'll call it that. 
Yeah, I was doing a ride, Peloton ride with Cody Rigsby the other day. And what did he say? He was like, he was talking about like hot girl summer. And he was like, getting vaxxed, getting waxed. <laughs> like we are going to. I love it. This summer is going to be hot. And I was like, oh yeah, well, oh, I don't yeah. know if I'm getting waxed, but getting yeah. vaxxed. So. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Okay. So we are talking today about the, what you've coined the millennial parent problem. What is it and what causes it? Let's dive in. All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial. I'm what they, many people call an elder millennial. And, mm-hmm. um, I started noticing around 2016, um, when I was pregnant with my first and I'm an OBGYN. So I was also, you know, um, in the office seeing patients. And I just noticed this, especially with the millennial patients, this, um, I don't know, I don't want to call it necessarily anxiety, but this just increased this, this worry, um, about all the different things, you know? And so people would come to their appointments and they'd have like these long lists. And even when we'd kind of work through the lists, I'd notice that it almost felt like they were trying to place the information I was sharing into this kind of like database in their head of like, okay, well, what did this person say? What did this say? So it just felt like people were really navigating a lot of information and, and I was a piece of that. Um, and so there was just, you know, it's just, it creates this, I just sense this kind of worry in my patients and myself and in my friends. And so it's something that I've really been thinking about for, you know, about five years now about what's, what's kind of underlying what's going on with millennials were what's going on with us with parenting why is it different for us than it is for the you know our parents and the, the generations before us because i i do think it's distinctly different um mm. and so yeah i mean i know you see this in your patients and in yourself it's just there's a we're, yeah. we're holding a lot um we and really we want to do it all well yeah. And I, gosh, as you were talking about like the, what you see, I love how you just kind of drew the picture of like, you can see it in your patients that as yeah. you're sharing information, they're almost having to like sort through the, the yep. I love this, like a database, like picture like this, like filing cabinet. It's like, well, okay, where, where, where is this going to fit? And um, how this maybe sounds like it's contradicting this piece of information or exactly. what about this piece of it. And I'm even just thinking about, you know, I went to our pediatrician appointment when my uh, daughter was six months and we were talking mm-hmm. about, um, you know, feeding her in solids and, you know, he was recommending, you know, purees and like these certain kind of purees maybe to start with. Um, and then I took it in, but I was like, it was being filed away with all the information that I had already like taken in and consumed on yep. social media about yep. things like baby led feeding, you know, and like, yeah. um, yeah, that's so important. And, and it's like, I, there, there are so many things when it comes to parenting where sometimes I find myself just being like, okay, it feels like there's so much noise. Can somebody <laughs> just tell me the right answer? Like what is oh. the right answer? And what that ding, comes ding, back ding, ding. Yeah. I yeah, want you're, to you're hitting on it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. So I can relate to this and I know for sure that my clients come in 
and they come in and they have all sorts of symptoms, right? Like difficulties sleeping, feeling overwhelmed, they're stressed, um, relationship challenges. They feel like they're having, they have tons of like mom guilt or parent guilt or feelings of shame, um, scary thoughts. Like there's so, so many symptoms that folks will come in with, even just like physical things like stomach aches, headaches, and muscle tension. And they, yeah. And I think that there's, there could be other stuff going on, right? Each person's unique situation is going to be very nuanced, but I think that I see a lot of millennials and this is probably a big part of it. Would you agree? Oh, totally. And you know, the, here's the thing, this, this kind of ill-defined for a long time in my head, it was just this ill-defined thing that just felt like there's something different going on with our generation. Parenting is different for us. And I know, you know this, that there's power in naming something, right? There's power in giving something a name and breaking it down. And so for a long time, I personally have just, and and you as well, have just been really trying to, to help Um, millennial parents and and try to solve this problem. But what Mm -hmm. I realized in the last year or so was I I really needed to to really name it and define it Um, because, and that's why I came up with this, this name of the millennial parent problem and actually came up with, you know, the, the different the different elements of it and the different symptoms of it because you know as a physician I know that even just giving someone a diagnosis just giving someone a name that they can call it and and mm. something even if you don't have like a cure <laughs> it's so powerful to say yes this is what I'm dealing with and, and these I, I can identify I can see myself in this diagnosis or in this um, in these criteria. And so, you know, the millennial parent problem, it's never going to be, it's not like we're petitioning the, the DSM five, which is, you know, the, the psychiatric diagnosis to yeah. include it. I'm, I'm not looking to actually turn this into a psychiatric diagnosis because I don't think it's a mental illness or, or necessarily something wrong with the individual. I think that mm-hmm. this has been created by our culture and by society and by technology. And, but I do think that actually coming up with a name for it and explaining to people what the different elements of it are helps to empower them to see like, no, this is not just you. It's not a problem that's like you're failing somehow. This is what it's like to be a millennial parent right now. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I I can really relate to this idea of seeing something and having a name for it and how powerful that can be, um, both personally, but also for my clients. If I, if I hand my clients say a list of, um, cognitive distortions, which is basically like types of thoughts that are distorted in some way that people that struggle with anxiety or depression will oftentimes find themselves experiencing. And I'll say, hey, can you check off the ones here that you really resonate with, right? Or that you can relate to. And it'll be examples like all or nothing thinking, catastrophizing, like um, vision, fortune telling, right? Um, Mind reading, um, all these sort of things. And and they'll they'll look at me and they're like, other people, like, how did you know? Like, how how are you reading my mind? Like, how did you know that I have these sort of um, thoughts? And 
and then from there, if there is, you know, I, I, I do struggle with, you know, the DSM. So I don't think that anybody's going to perfectly fit in a box. And sometimes I don't think the DSM takes into consideration context, right? And like, oh, no, not at all. Yeah. But it can be so powerful to be like, there's a name for this experience, right? Yep. Um, and so what, what would you say? Well, gosh, let me think. Where do I want to start here? Like, there's a part of me that actually wants to start before we get into like what are some of those like symptoms and experiences. I kind of want to talk, get it, get some ideas from you around where did this start? Because it feels like it was yeah. a, like a slow growing thing where it's almost yeah. like it swallows you up, but it's such a, it's like this. It was so such a slow growing thing that whatever it is, the problem, and then eventually you don't even realize it. It's like it's like I don't know. This is such a weird example. Like you're cooking a lobster, you put the lobster in the hot water, and the water's boiling slowly, and the lobster doesn't know that it's boiling until no. it's boiled. You know, and it's almost like this slow boil that happened that eventually just like swallowed us whole. And I don't know, do you, where did it start? What are some of the, the factors that really contributed to this specifically for our generation? Yeah. So here's, here's my thought. So first, you know, I think it helps to have like a, we can get more into the nitty gritty of like what I'm using to define this millennial parent problem. But in general, like the four main elements of it are information overwhelm, um, incessant distractions, kind of busy brain, not trusting ourselves. And then what I call the do more pressure. So this pressure to keep doing and, and being oh more, those are the four that, main that, elements that, of it. Yeah. <laughs> I got all those. Okay. Keep going. <laughs> yeah. So, and I, I have, a, you know, my theory is, is that there's um, a few sentinel events in our, um, in our lives that really shaped this. And, the first one, you know, this is mostly for uh, American millennials, but the first is that we were kids, though most, you know, a, a good chunk of millennials have a, a pretty strong memory of uh, 9-11. So we were not so young that we have no memory of it. And we weren't so old that we, you know, really had, you know, our adult intellect that helped us deal with it. But we were we were kids and we remember where we were and and it was such an experience of like the rug being pulled out from under us because we just never yeah. thought that the United States could be attacked that way. So I think that that yeah. was one sentinel event. I was a sophomore in high school. A lot of millennials were, were younger. They were in elementary school or middle school. And yeah. then, you know, the 2008 recession and a lot of us were either, you know, in high school, in college, and grad school, entering the job market. And all of a sudden, we're looking ahead and we're like, there's no jobs. Like, there's, yeah. and a lot of people are taking jobs that, that they didn't really study for. And so our career, there was this kind of scarcity around jobs, around credit. I know that my, <laughs> my debt from medical school is like, is was is really bad because it was I, I went I was in medical school during the credit crisis, so there was yeah. just this sense, and I had so many friends who were like, "Oh my gosh, I can't like I'm and my brother, you know, I have three brothers who are all millennials, and and they had a really hard time getting jobs. So yeah. there's that, and then we're you know the parents of young children, and a freaking pandemic hits, and again the rug is pulled out from under us. So I think that there's. Yeah. 
um, in addition to kind of all of the things that are going on in our society with technology, the patriarchy, all of that stuff, but also there's these like four, these like sentinel events that happened as we grew up where we're really feeling like there, there's a level of worry and stress that, that maybe parents of generations before didn't necessarily have. So interesting because you're right. And these, these events hit, like you mentioned, timeline wise in these really pivotal moments of transition. And as a family therapist, when you look at the family life cycle, like what we study is these family life transitions. And these major ones are um, launching, right. And so Mm -hmm. going out and, you know, gaining independence, um, and then, uh, getting married, um, or forming a family, however that looks for you. Um, and, and, and getting a job. I mean, these are major life transitions and these major events. And when you look at the events themselves and you named, for instance, like the scarcity, um, that, happens right around the time that you're, you know, looking into going into the job force. Um, but with 9-11, there's also, um, you know, fear and safety, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. And security. So now you have a group of folks who are going to feel more, um, more scared, right? And not so secure and safe. Um, also scarcity, right? Which is yep. the, the the feeling like there just isn't enough right out there. Um, and then, and then the pandemic, which is yeah. isolation, right? Like isol- again, fear, but also isolation. Um, you don't have the same sort of um, community support. So where are people turning to for support? They're going to their phones oh, and yeah. on your phones, like a, you're going to get information, like just dinging at you from every direction. Not all of it accurate or helpful. Right. Um, and and, and also- a lot of opinion too. Right. So it's like, we're oh. being exposed, you know, we're being exposed to hundreds to thousands of pieces of information and opinion. And it can be hard to tell the difference sometimes. And that's another element of this is that, you know, we millennials really came, were coming of age as not, you know, it's the internet had been around, but we started coming of age when handheld devices were with us all of the time. Mm -hmm. So what is that? What, what happens when you have the internet at your fingertips all of the time when you're coming of age and you're becoming an adult and you're learning to adult for the first time. We freaking Googled everything, right? We're, we're, you know, paying rent for the first time, figuring out our taxes, all of this stuff. We learned to turn to the internet to find somebody who knew more than us, that was had more expertise than us to tell us what to do. And so we really got into this pattern of, of turning to the internet, turning to bloggers, turning to whatever, whoever was willing to give us a step-by-step or break it down for us, that's what we did. And so my question is, you know, what does that do to our ability to gain confidence in ourselves and to trust ourselves when we don't, when we never really figure out the problems for ourselves, right? Like, we don't ask ourselves first, like, okay, what's the reasonable thing to do in this situation? The first thing we do is we go to Google. I mean, I think it undermines our confidence. I think it undermines our trust in ourselves. And that was the case even before we became parents. And then mm. we become parents and it gets worse. 
get so much worse. And, and we grew up, I mean, I know Facebook first started when I was in college. Um, and then Instagram started around the time where I started getting on Instagram and actually sharing on Instagram and scrolling Instagram when my first was, when I, I had my, my first, I forget how mm -hmm. old she was, but I was yeah. still navigating that kind of like tender, <laughs> those tender early stages of parenthood, um, first time mom. And what the way in which these apps are built are to keep you hooked in and, yeah. and there's so much curation happening, happening, it's the highlight reel, there's the filters, and you are turning to this in moments of your real life and being exposed to somebody else's highlight reel, right? And comparing. Totally. So not only are you just getting information overload, but we're getting this like, this peek into other people's lives, um, but not the whole picture ever, right? Yeah. Um, but it feels like, it feels like we know these people, right? Um, we feel like we have access to them and that we're seeing a peek into their lives, but we're, our brains are not, are, are built and wired to compare. So anytime oh, you yeah. walk into any space, parenthood being one of those, you're going to, what are you going to do? You're going to look around and be like, well, what are other people doing here? Cause there was no manual and like no one prepared me for what happens after they hand me the baby. And yep. what am I going to do? I'm going to look around to see what others are doing. Um, how are they experiencing this? Like, is it normal that I'm feeling these things? Like, how do I, how do I do this? What are others doing? So we look to see what others are doing. And gosh, this past year, you don't, I mean, at least, at least before the pandemic, there was some sense, hopefully of some sort of community support or going to a support group or a lactation class or a mommy and me class or a parent and baby class. And yeah. you could at least get some sense of like what other parents in real life look like moment to moment. But gosh, this past year, I am so concerned to see, you know, a couple of years from now, when we look at back at the research and data about the impact yeah. this is having on postpartum families who only had access to their handheld device and the social media to see what other parents were doing. Like I can, oh gosh, I can't even imagine the impact that's going to have. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly having a profound impact on parenting and and on our on our self-esteem and on our our confidence as parents I mean that's the thing is that and you know I know you talk about comparison all the time and you touch on it all the time and and you know it's you know it's so important to understand that there is this and I, I'm sure you've shared this on the, the podcast before but that there's a real that comparison is actually a survival mechanism for human beings yeah. because we are a species that um, we're at the top of the food chain right because we're mm -hmm. really smart and that we and because we work together so we are social animals and a person who's out in the woods by themselves not so safe a person who's in the woods with 10 people you can just feel it in your body when I when I when you picture yourself by yourself in the woods versus 10 people, you feel safer, right? So there yeah. is this safety in numbers and, and the way that we know that we're safe in, is in, in a group, we compare ourselves to make sure, okay, am I doing, and is any of my behavior out of line? It's going to get me kicked out of this group and thus not safe. And we yeah. don't, we don't actually have that thought process consciously 
but our our subconscious is is, is constantly doing these comparisons to 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 determine our safety because the primary job of our brain is survival. And so even though comparing on social media these days is not necessary for survival, our brain doesn't necessarily know that, right? So it's coming from a place of wanting to be safe and it's okay if you are just being exposed to your community, your family, your coworkers in person where you can see someone as a three-dimensional human being with grit and texture. But when you're being exposed and you're comparing yourself because that's how your what how your brain is designed to hundreds to thousands of people who you can I don't care how much someone shares on social media you are not getting a three-dimensional picture of that person, mm-hmm. even if they are they are sharing with vulnerability. I know, you know, our brain likes to, we'll take a small amount of information and we will extrapolate a whole story. Um, and I've, as, as somebody who has a following on Instagram, I've experienced this where people will come to me and they are, they'll be relaying a story a story about my life that they thought was true based mm-hmm. on some pieces of information I had shared. And I have to be like, no, 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 no. That's, that's not, <laughs> that's not my reality, you know? So it happens all the time and we don't even know that we're doing it. We're not doing it on purpose. It is just how our brain works. Yeah. And you, you had spoken a little bit earlier about, you know, sort of losing the trust in ourselves, right? Yep. And I just got a DM yesterday. So yesterday I shared some stories just about like our bedtime routine. And I mentioned in there that, you know, I have an eight and a, eight and a half month old now. And I, she went to bed at like 645 and I was like, you know, I'll probably go in and give her a dream feed before I go to sleep. And then, you know, she's usually getting up between two and four in the morning. And right now I go in and I feed her because it pushes her to sleep a little bit longer. I'm not a morning person. It works for us. Like, and I had someone just DM me and they were like, Oh my gosh, it is like, you have no idea how amazing it is to hear that. Like, that's okay. to like go in and, and feed your baby. If, if that works for you and your family, like, you know, eight and a half at two, between two and four in the morning. And she was like, with my first, I just really believed that I had, like my baby had to sleep through the night that I should sleep train in this certain way. Um, and I still look back and struggle with the fact that we made decisions in the way that we did, because it did not feel right for us. And she said, like, I, it's so nice to hear somebody say that, like, that's okay. And I mean, I think even in that situation, right, she's, um, she's still, she's trying to find trust in herself by seeing, is somebody else doing this? And then that make it okay, right? Whereas at the end of the day, what we really want to be able to do is to turn, is to come back to our, to ourselves, right? And intuition, right? And, and build that sense of, I can trust myself and I can trust myself that when I, when I need support and answers that I can go and seek that out in a way that I'm getting the information from, you know, reliable sources and something that feels aligned with our values. And that's going to be the right fit for our family. But Oh my gosh. I mean, it, I just, I could like just sense through the DM, right. Her sense of like, I did not trust myself and I'm still carrying that with me today, you know, and how heavy that was for her. Yeah. It's incredible. And I've had various, I've had very similar DMS. I've had 
um, people send me direct messages when, you know, if they had, they had sleep trained their baby and it had, it was something that really worked for them. They were really happy they had done it. And they come across like a real, uh, from some, a different sleep expert saying that sleep training is like the worst thing and you're, you're going to ruin your baby yeah. forever because you sleep train. Yeah. And so then they come and they say, okay, what did you do? And they're looking, you know, so what it is, yeah. is it, what's so incredible to me is that we, we, before we ever ask ourselves, we are asking other people before we ever say, okay, what was, what's the right decision for me? We're asking what are other people doing? And it's that, and then if the problem, the problem there is if we don't have a a sense of, okay, what do I want to do and why? And if I, if I'm talking about baby sleep, right, baby sleep is really controversial. Like it's just like feeding our babies. It's really controversial for some reason. There's like, seems to be, there's like different parenting factions and, and they're like, (laughs) it's very, sometimes it seems like it's being made very black and white when obviously it's not. Um, and so when we're, we're asking other people before we're asking ourselves and we're, we'll say, okay, well, I'll just do it that way. And then when somebody comes along and is like, that's terrible, it's like, oh, okay. And you're, we're trying to twist ourselves into a pretzel to kind of like fit in or appease these different, these other, these different people that we look up to, whether it's somebody on Instagram or it's somebody in real life or it's somebody else in a Facebook group. So that's, you know, what I, what I said to that, that person who felt this shame spiral after seeing this reel is like, okay, how do you feel? about the decision that you made to, to sleep train. Was it good for your family? Was it good for you? Yeah. And, and her answer was, was yes, this was, I I couldn't have continued the way Mm -hmm. it was. Mm -hmm. Okay. You have your answer. You don't need to hear from, from me what I think because, you know, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, it is a, it is really challenging that, you know, there's all it's, 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 it can be parenting can come across very black or white on social media and online. And you, you know, you know, that that's just not how it is in real life, right? Like you can, mm-hmm. uh, there's so many different, there's, there's, you know, for, for me, for example, I've done both co-sleeping, sleep training, not sleep training. I've done exclusive breastfeeding, pumping, formulas. I mean, in yeah. one one human being does not have to f- fall into like one way of doing things. It's like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we could yeah. go on and on about this about oh sleep, God. but you know what I mean. But I feel like what you were calling her to do in that moment was to like come back home to herself. You know, I yes. think that we uh, like. I don't know. That was just the visual that came to mind. And like, there's something so, um, I think that when I, when I, when I really sit with that idea, like, okay, what what would it mean to come back home to myself? Like, it's interesting. I think the things that come up are connected to some of these other issues that you presented. So there's like a feeling of fear. Well, what if I, what if I come back home to myself and I miss something? And then there's a little bit of scarcity. It's like, what if I come back home to myself and I'm not doing enough, right? Or I miss out on something. Um, I don't know. So I think that there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of work we got to do to come back home to ourselves. Um, But I'd love to hear like, what are some of the like signals, like symptoms 
that you think almost like a, almost like a checklist, right? That you yeah. could identify that if someone listening could kind of listen to, to see if they are maybe also experiencing this millennial parent problem. Yeah. So um, like I said, there's four components um, to the millennial parent problem. The first one is information overwhelm. So this, you know, obviously we're being exposed to hundreds of thousands of pieces of information and opinion on a daily basis. And this can have us um, searching, feeling like we have to search for the right or the best answer. So there's this pressure that like, okay, I need to access all of this data and then I have to sift through it and figure out what's the best data. And, you know, it's both online, in person, with our physicians, with our friends. So there's, we have to kind of sift through this, all of the information um, and find the best or the right answer. And then there's, you know, we can get ourselves into these internet rabbit holes where we just keep looking, looking, looking. And really what what we're trying, what we're doing is, is we're thinking that the information is going to solve our stress and we're Mm. using, so we'll be stressed um, or anxious or worried and we will use the internet or social media or whatever as as a tool that we think is going to solve our stress but it doesn't, right? It's just, it's kind of this, (laughs) it's this vicious cycle. It doesn't, the internet, a Google search, just like maybe once in a while, it provides some reassurance, but oftentimes it just feeds more into the the stress. And then we get to this, we get just decision fatigue and analysis paralysis Mm -hmm. because we are, there are so many opinions. There's so many pieces of information and analyzing and what can I trust? What can I not trust? Um, it gets, we get really overwhelmed and fatigued. And so mm-hmm. there, that's the, that's the, one of the primary components and obviously our access to um, the internet and especially a handheld smartphone really feeds into that. And then there yeah. is the what happens when we are on the on our phones and on the internet so much is that we end up really wiring our brains for this distraction. So we're getting mm-hmm. um, notifications, emails, texts, all, you know, all of these different dings, and we then have this difficulty with staying present and people will notice that in a moment of stillness or silence, and those are the moment, those moments are so important in our lives because that's when we hear our own inner voice and our intuition. Um, In those moments of stillness or silence, we're reaching for our phone because that's just what, that's what happens when you use technology a lot. Your brain, it's not a personal failing your brain is going to, there's dopamine, (laughs) there's dopamine surges, there's serotonin surges that are associated with the use of these devices. And so your brain is like, oh, I'm feeling a little lull. Let me go reach for the phone. So it's not a, I want to make very clear that this isn't a personal failing. This is really, we've been set up for this. Um, And then we can't, we can't be present. We can't be still. And that all feeds into this not trusting ourselves. So one, you know, we we have access to all this information and all and you know, with each individual thing you have access to an expert, right? So like in terms of parenting, there's therapists who are experts, there's speech therapists who's who are experts, there's um occupational therapists for experts. And so each different 
facet of parenting, there's a different parenting expert. And what they don't realize is that all of us who do have some expertise, that's our one area, (laughs) right? So we're not necessarily, I may be an OBGYN, I may be an expert in pregnancy, postpartum, all that stuff, but I'm not necessarily an expert in all the other things. But if you composite it, we're actually like each, each, each of us is kind of like seeing all these experts in different parenting things and creating this composite expert human being. Yeah. Do you you kind of see what I'm saying? Like, and then we're like, oh, I have to meet this level of expertise in all of these different areas. And so we don't, we're trusting other people about our parenting way more than we're trusting ourselves because, you know, they're experts in those things. So, um, yeah, it all, it all feeds in. And then the final element, the kind of this pressure to do more is this, everybody is doing all, all the things, right? That's what we see. People don't go on social media and really post like, Hey, I'm doing nothing but watching TV today. They're showing their, you know, all the stuff they're doing for their kids or all the stuff they're doing for themselves. Oh, I'm on the Peloton. Oh, I'm, you know? And so we have this idea that like, okay, I need to keep up. Like if I'm not Mm. stressed and busy, I'm not doing it right. Right. Like busy is our new, is our normal. It is our baseline. And is that right? Is that okay? Are we meant to be this busy? I personally don't think so. (laughs) I'm in a constant search for to be less busy. That is my, my goal in life is not to be busy. Um, And that's, but that's because I personally have let go of busyness as a signal that I'm doing things the right way. Um, It's in my, in my book these days, it's actually the opposite. Like I should, the less busy I am, the more in alignment I am with my values, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, I mean, what I'm hearing here is we're trying to find ways to come back home to ourselves and like searching for the slowness, right? Like yeah. seeking out the slowness in our lives. And you talked about the distraction and, um, you know, gosh, you know, let's just imagine you're standing in a Starbucks line, right? Like, and there's a lull in your mo in your day. What's the first yeah. thing you're going to pull up? Typically your phone, look around, everybody else is doing the same yep. exact thing. And what happens. And as you mentioned, when we take up all of the margins in our day by consuming in more information, yes. right. Even if it's just like passive, we're just growing, yep. we're still, mm-hmm. still bringing in more information. Our brains need margins to just process whatever the last thing that happened was, yes. right? And yes. if we don't get a chance to do that, our brains will like make up for it later on. And that's part of why people like insomnia is a thing. Yes. You know? because your brain is like, you know what? We spent all day like not processing anything that we brought, that we took in. And so now, okay, now things are kind of dark and quieter and stiller. Now let's start processing. And then you're just like, oh my gosh, like finally the baby's asleep. And now I'm sitting here staring at the ceiling with my, my mind running a million miles a minute, you know, um, we need the margins, but look around, nobody's giving themselves any margins. And if I, if I say, you know what, I'm going to just sit here in stillness and look around and notice my surroundings. And I just see everybody else looking really busy. I might think, gosh, like 
what's wrong with me? Like, what's wrong with me that I am slowing down? Better speed up. You know, I mean, it's, well, yep. Well, productivity (laughs) culture is is a big part of this, right? There's this, um, we have, and it's really interesting. Like it's, it's something that this, um, the idea of toxic productivity and work, uh, work and work ethic and productivity culture is really interesting to me. Um, and when you kind of look into it, peer into it more, and more, you know, this idea of the, especially like the American work ethic and idleness is sin and, you yeah. know, uh, laziness and all of this, when you, when you look into it, the roots of it are, you know, a lot of the ideas that we, you hear in, in our modern society are ideas that are are very old you know these are from like the the calvinists in like the 1600s they had this belief that really you couldn't show the only way to show that you were truly faithful that you were a, a true believer was to show your um your faith through work and mm. so that if you were being idle that you were, you know, there's this whole idea that there's evil and idleness and there's being a sloth and laziness, like there's all these bad things. Um, So it's really interesting. These ideas are very old and they're perpetuated all over the place. I mean, I see them in my children's, my, my children's books. You, you hear them from beloved family members, you know, who will say like, oh, you just got to work hard. And if you work hard, you know, and no, no positive messages about rest and um, and and stillness and not being productive. We we tie our our worth to this idea of well, how much are you producing? How much are you getting done in your to do list? We really, at the end of the day, want to feel accomplished. And how do we know if we're accomplished? Oh well, we have crossed these things off the list. We were very busy, and we did all of these things, and thus, ooh, that was a good day, right? We are a good person because we did all of this. And um, you know that when those messages came about, and this is actually something that. Um, Dr. Therese, who I know you know um, from Exploring Therapy on Instagram, um, we talked about toxic productivity a few months ago. And she's like, yeah, the thing about those messages is, though, is that they came around at a time where there wasn't electricity. So, like, the day was (laughs) over at, like, 6 p.m. And people couldn't work. And now we can... We, we can work all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, we really, you know, those messages were probably not, you know, there's there's a downside to them back then, but there's really a downside to them when you have the ability to just, to accomplish so much more because we have all these efficiency tools, right? We've got this phone that we can like send an email while we're in line at Starbucks and oop, I got that to-do list done and I feel good about myself. And it really perpetuates our, um, our mental busyness and this idea that if we aren't doing those things, if we're just sitting and thinking that we're not actually, that's wasted time, right? When actually our brain needs it in order for us to actually show up and be productive when it is time to, you know, log on to whatever work we are put on this earth to do. Like we're going to struggle more in being focused and productive when it is a time and space for that. When we literally have given our brain no space to process any of the information that it's been taking in. Yeah. all day long. This is a this is another conversation for another day, but this is one of the reasons why I have an issue actually with homework because I like oh, I think about totally. it. What if 
what are we doing when we are teaching, we're literally teaching kids to have like poor boundaries, take your work home and like, no, and like work at home, like no, no time off. (laughs) Like this whole year, one of the blessings of the pandemic um, is that my kids have had no homework all year. Um, I mean, they're doing, they've been doing Zoom school, so that's its own thing. They're doing school at home, but there's been no homework. And I hope it never comes back. I mean, honestly, I'm like, why, what is the next? Like, we're literally training them for the workforce. <laughs> uh, I mean, this gets uh, me, it gets me all fired up, Cass, because listen, it's not just about like, oh, and I, I 100% agree with you. Like when we don't have mental quiet, it makes it so that we are not, we're not able to be as productive. We don't make as good of decisions. There's, there's, and, yeah. and, you know, really what we're talking about is, is mindfulness. Um, and there's tons of data on mindfulness. And I, you know, obviously, that's a a subject for another time. But the most important thing that I really want to get across to parents is that we're missing it. I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. We're missing it. When we are constantly pulling out the phone, when we are comparing ourselves to others all day, when we feel like we have to be stressed and busy, when we're, when we're just overwhelmed, we're missing it. We're missing our lives and we're missing the beauty in the small moments that we don't see because we are so stressed and so worried about getting the to-do list done. And it it's so fleeting, you know? I keep I think about <laughs> my my four-year-old, she's almost four. Um, every time we take a bath and I'm like, okay, the bath is over she, it's a little bit upsetting to her. So she has a little cup and she's like, I'm going to save some of the water because it's so wonderful and warm. Oh. And that's it. That's the, the thing is though, y'all, this is it. You yeah. can't save the bath water. It, it's mm. life is fleeting and it's temporary. And if we are so wrapped up, we miss all the beauty. And so there's, you know, the reason why I came up with the millennial parent problem. I named it is because I really believe that by breaking it down and explaining it to people, what we're doing right now is a bunch of parents are thinking, I just need to be better. I, it's my problem. I just need to be better. And what I want parents to hear is that, okay, this is not your fault. This is what's, this is kind of the, the landscape that we have become parents in. And this is what it's done to us. And now that we know that we can break it down and we can look at it. Let's move out of this because if we don't do it now, we're going to miss years of our life and our, and we're going to miss so much beauty because we're being so hard on ourselves and saying, I should do better at this. I should do better at this when really we need to get rid of all of that crap, all of those expectations, all of the pressure we put on ourselves and just return to ourselves and really return to the present moment. And we can retrain our brain to get away from distraction. We can eliminate a lot of the noise and the comparison and the pressure to do more, but we have to be aware that it's a problem first instead of just, we're pushing ourselves more into it. Even self-care people, it's now like, oh, I've got to do self-care and we're we make it another to-do list item, right? Anyway. (laughs) Christine, my friend, you are like one of the smartest people I know and one of the most passionate people I know. And I know that you are putting together a workshop and I think it's a free workshop for- It's a free workshop, yeah. Where you're going to actually be walking 
people through the like, okay, now that we know what it is, and we're like, all right, I'm signing up because this is, I am struggling with this. You're going to actually be offering people like steps to unhook themselves from this and come back home and come back home to themselves. What, when is this happening? What are some of the details of this? Yeah. So this, the, the, Um, name of this free workshop is, is the millennial parent problem stealing your joy? The three Mm. keys to becoming the calm, confident parent you were meant to be. And I always caveat the becoming part, becoming the calm, confident parent that you were meant to be. You already actually are this person. Mm -hmm. It's about uncovering it because it is within you. You don't need, Yeah. yeah, you don't need any more we just need to get rid of a lot of this crap. So mm-hmm. this um, free workshop is happening uh, Thursday, April 29th at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And um, you can register at thesterlinglife.com slash MPP, which is short for Millennial Parent Problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, we'll make, you know, we will also make a recording available too, but it is an interactive workshop. So the idea is to walk people through these kind of three uh, core, um, you know, principles, these three keys that really um, allow us to, to start to move away from this problem and, and move back to ourselves. And this is not about, you know, um, doing more work. This is really about yeah. examining what's currently happening in our lives and and just returning to ourselves and returning to the present moment. Oh, I hear you talk about all that. And I just think what are like the, the words that came to mind, what a relief, what a relief that it's not about more. Isn't it interesting? The first thing that I think is, well, what, what do I need to do now? Like I need to fix this. Right. And like, yeah. it's just so interesting. So I'm I'm so excited that you're putting this on. So I will, there'll be a link to register in the show notes. So people want to go directly there, um, they can do that. And I'll also put a link in there for people to find you and follow you on social media and all the beautiful, wonderful things that you are doing there. Christine, my friend, thank you so much. I am so excited to share this conversation with, with all the listeners, because I bet every single person that listens to it is going to resonate <laughs> at some level. Cause I think, I think majority of my listeners are, uh, millennials or, yeah. um, or at least were at least became parents during this season of life. Right. <laughs> um, and so I'm, I'm excited for them to, to hear this and to know that, that there isn't anything wrong with you. Like this is a thing. There's a name for it. Yeah. And there are some ways that we can come back home to ourselves. Exactly. Exactly. It was so, it's always so lovely to talk to you, Cassidy. And I can't wait to see you in person soon. <laughs> I'm going to run into your arms and <laughs> like a slow motion, like run. And then I'm going to run into your arms and then we're gonna, you're going to swing me around and then we're going to go maybe have a Mai Tai or something. <laughs> oh, that sounds lovely. Let's, let's get it on the books. <laughs> All right, friend. Thanks for being here. You've been listening to Holding Space Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, you might want to hit that subscribe button to be the first to hear when new episodes air. Looking for more support? I teamed up with a board-certified OBJN to bring you two e-courses for expecting and postpartum parents. Head over to the show notes to learn more. Thank you so much for inviting me in to part of your day today. I'm so grateful, and I hope you have a beautiful, wonderful rest of your day.